Mine Dame O'Hare. The Marvel Studios Fanfare Orchestra Estolte Ave Presentere. The Marvel Studios Fanfare. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. When she sings, she sings, come home. When she sings, she sings, come home. When she sings, she sings, come home. Home, 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 home. Nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Thank you so much to my good friend Google Translate for translating that in the ancient Asgardian tongue. I took a stab at Norwegian, folks. <laughs> I, was just, I just assumed it might be Norwegian that T. Hiddles was saying in this episode. So I would like to apologise to all our Norwegian listeners. I know we do have Norwegian listeners for what I did to your beautiful mother tongue. Anyway, hello pod, I am Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest episode of our weekly Loki spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to episode three, Lamentis. Written by Bishop K. Ali and directed by Kate Heron, as usual, in which we follow Loki and the variant to a moon that's about to meet its doom. And by episode's end, it seems that our heroes might be facing not just their own episode's end, but full-on cancellation. And not because Loki has said something horrible in the past that has been dug up on social media and used as a stick with which to beat him. I mean, actual can like death. The works, essentially. So... Joining me to discuss this Mobius stripped episode are my three minute men, because Owen Wilson's not in it, you see, Mobius. Are my three minute men of such lethal cunning? Helen O'Hara. Hello. I'm surprised you don't speak Norwegian, Helen. I, you speak everything you, else. I, I, I very much don't. I have extremely rusty Spanish and French, um, and that's all. So, uh, yeah. Au contraire. Au contraire. We should have got our old mate Kobe in. He speaks Norwegian. Does he? There you go. I did not know that. I did not know that. Uh, we're also joined by, of course, James Dyer, who speaks one language and one language only. And that is a language. I was going to say I've twat, but that's unfair <laughs> to you, James. I don't speak Norwegian. However, I have seen every single episode of Vikings, so I'm basically a native. <laughs> I do have Viking DNA. My granny got herself ch- tested once. So, really? Yeah. Is that something you can get tested for? What you go to the doctor and say, I think I've come down with a case of Viking. No, like you- <laughs> Am I feeling a bit Norse? I mean, around, around a thousand years ago, loads of people came down with a case of Viking, actually. But um, <laughs> but no, my uh, my granny got one of those DNA tests and uh, and it came back, I don't know, some percentage Viking. And the other granny, the Are other Are you sure it wasn't delivered branch, by Viking? What, like, do you mean like the Mars rover or like? Okay. Anyway, sure. the point is, you know, Viking DNA on both sides because my other side of the family are Sweeney's and they're a Gallaglass family who are definitely Vikings. So mm-hmm. Vikings all the way wow. down. Yeah. Ben, do you have any Viking in you? Ben Travis, of course. Um, not right now. No. Um, <laughs> Wait, where's my kazoo? Where's my kazoo? Here we go. 
Um, and they said those were a waste of money. <laughs> I've had more return on investment in this than anything I've ever bought in my entire life. Absolutely. They paid for themselves 10 times over. 10 times over. They're worth their weight in gold. Uh, ben, so do you have any any Norse? Do you speak Norwegian? Do you have a, do you have a background in this stuff? Not that I know of. I haven't done like a DNA ancestry thing. I think if I did, it would just come back saying, hey, you're extremely white. And I already know that. So, but I mean, I'm, I'm half Scottish. Um, my dad's half? side is uh, my mum's half. I mean, the which left. I think is on left. my left. Yeah. And then okay. on the right, my dad's half. Uh, uh, that's Liverpool. So that is going to be a mix of everything. You know, that's a port city. It's going to be a bit of this, bit of that. Um, so probably in there somewhere. I mean, we, we we were all invaded centuries ago, so we've probably all got a bit of Viking in us somewhere. I think Helen maybe more than the rest of us. She was wearing <laughs> war paint when I saw her the other day. She was like, wielding an axe. I mean, uh, as Helen calls that, it's Tuesday. Um, the horned hat just goes with my look. I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's, you were styling it's, it out. It was I think great. so. Yeah, and it, it it irritates the people behind me, and then I have an excuse to kill them with my axe. But I don't see how that makes me a Viking. You know, <laughs> I know the horned hats are not actually what the Vikings wore. Please don't yes, write in. If you are a Viking and you have taken umbrage with anything yeah, Helen says, then do write in. You should find the usual methods. Do not uh, invade us and try and kill us with your massive axes. Anyway. Enough of this. This is innuendo laden already, isn't it? <laughs> but first, before we get into it, to the recap. We start with Hunter C20, played by Sasha Lane. I wonder if Hunter's her first name. That'd be nice. Hunter well, like C20. Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. Or like Hunter from Gladiators. So they only recruit people for that job whose names happen to be Hunter. It narrows the field. Yes, I will grant you mm. that. Quite a lot, I would have thought, but okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we start with Hunter C20 played by Sasha Lane in a bar on what looks like Earth. She's having cocktails with a friend who looks a lot like the Loki variant we met last week played by Sophia DiMartino. What's happening? What is happening? Is this a flashback? No, it is the Loki variant. This is some kind of mental construct. And she's trying to get some information out of C20 on the Timekeepers, the Lords of the DVA. Then after the Loki logo... Or the Logie, I guess, what we call it now. Uh, hey, Logie. We pick up where we left off last week with the variant attacking the TVA headquarters. Finding that her powers don't work here, she grabs some disintegration sticks and works her way through some Minutemen, eventually pursued by our Logie, played, of course, by Tom Hiddleston, who frees his daggers, steady, from the locker where Mobius stored them last week. They have a discussion, which is interrupted by Judge Renslayer, played, of course, by Gugu Mbata Raw. Len, using what we now know is called a tempad, even though that sounds like some sort of sanitary towel you buy in a panic, Loki and Sylvie wind up in a mysterious place, which turns out to be Lamentus One, mm. which sounds like a dildo you would buy in a panic. A moon that's <laughs> about to be destroyed... What? I have notes, but go on. <laughs> what, what, okay. what kind of panic results in that action? <laughs> quick, quick! I need a dildo. And, and who gets a dildo whose first name is Lament? Like, I don't think that's the kind of word you want to put in the name. I mean, I'm not a marketing expert. Obviously, feel free to write in if you are. It's a very dildo melancholy and dildo. Do not go together. That's not. That's not good. Thank God you're here. <laughs> I really need a dildo. <laughs> do you have any on you? Anyway. 
<clears throat> Lament is one, a moon that's about to be destroyed by a rogue planet. Desperate to find their way out, Loki and the Feriant, who Len asks to be called Sylvie, <gasps> must recharge the Tempad. Tempad for you! Which is out of battery. They happen upon a homesteader who, after blasting them both with some kind of pulse weapon, understandably, given that Loki was pretending, of course, to be her dead husband, tells them that they need to make it to the Ark, a ship that will give them the power that they seek. I have questions about the scene being called the Ark, but I guess language is. Yeah, we're, we're assuming universal translator, yada yada. Yeah. It's all fine. Yeah, they're not basing it on the Bible and no. uh, Evan Almighty. It's basically lament. This is twenty seventy seven, right? So Evan Almighty might be like a huge cultural at the edges of the Cree Empire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting, Helen. Interesting. You've done. You're googling as well. Uh, Where where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Yes. Anyway, making her way to the Ark, Loki disguises himself as a guard, and with Sylvie's enchantment powers, they make their way on board, where they have a conversation in a very nice bar area. Mm. very nice bar area about their past, their mothers and the nature of love. And here Loki reveals for the first time, sending Twitter into paroxysms of glee that he is by. Sylvie then falls asleep. You fell asleep? Sorry, I have to reference friends in every single episode. That's just the way it works. And then she awakens to find Loki singing Anna's Guardian song. When she sings, she sings, come home. When she sings, she sings, sings, come home. home. When she sings, she sings, come home. Home, home, home. Okay, we've done that bit. We've we've done done that bit. Okay, sorry. Um, That then arouses, steady, Mm. the suspicions of a passenger who dobs them in to the guards. A fight ensues during which Loki blasts a guard with a green energy blast, which doesn't seem like something he has the the capability of doing previously. Interesting. (laughs) Then he is sucked out, careful, and Sylvie follows. They find that the Tempad is destroyed. <gasps> Sad. But they can still take part in all sorts of great daily activities. Facing death, Loki suggests that they try to make off the planet on the Ark. Helen got that. Mm-hmm. Uh, facing death, Loki suggests that they try to make it off the planet on the Ark. They walk to the city, during which time Sylvie tells Loki how to pull off steady an enchantment and... With just minutes to go before the planet hits, they try to board the Ark whilst dodging all manner of debris. And one particularly big chunk is dealt with by Loki in a most unexpected manner. We will be talking about that for sure. Unfortunately, as per history, because this has already happened, if you will, the Ark doesn't make it. And as Sylvie walks away in resignation, Loki stares up at the planet that might just be, like Thanos, about to punch his ticket for the last time. Is this it for the God of Mischief? For halfway through a six-episode run, it seems unlikely. But there you go. That is the episode recapped. Whilst I take a little breather over here, why don't you guys tell me what you thought of it? Well, I will reveal to you, since none of you seem to have noticed, the Aliens, of course, is my all-time favourite film, and uh, I was I was in paroxysms, this time of delight, that they referenced Aliens in this episode. When Loki Arr. and Sylvie go on board the train, they encounter two guards, one and his immediate superior. The one that they mind control is one Private Hudson, played by Ben Vandermeer, and his superior is one Corporal Hicks, <gasps> played by John Colin Barkley. And yes, please, thanks very much. Loving oh, the reference. See, I didn't that know made that. Me very happy. Did you read the credits at the end? I, I did see, read mm. the credits and with them squeeing and clapping and very, very pleased. Ah, oh, see, I always read the credits, but I, I never read their character names because I, I felt they were. Yeah. Mm. 
that was a lot of fun. Uh, so yes, very pleased with that. But other than that, this was this was an interesting episode. So it's not an episode where anything happens so it feels like one of those ones where it's like it's taking a breather it's slowing down uh, a little bit even though it's not the most fast-paced series to begin with but i liked it despite that because i think the time you spend with sylvie and loki is delightful and there were a lot there was a lot of talk on the internet about how this was doctor who on a bigger budget which i thought was a little uncharitable well, that's but I kind you don't of like get... doctor who though <laughs> yeah, exactly that's why but i get where they're coming from like i thought the back and forth was great i thought it, you know the frankly the flirtatious banter worked really really well i think they sparked off each other nicely i think you learn just enough to be kind of enthralled but without them sort of spilling it all she still don't really Steady. know what's happening yes exactly uh yeah i loved it i love the two of them together i like the sort of the similarities and yet the points of difference i think we're kind of we're, we're looking at her being a variant from quite an early age like was she even adopted by an asgardian it doesn't seem to be the case i mean who knows what her past was and i enjoyed the the kind of obviously the enchantress thing was a big deal mm. over the last week i'm sure we'll get into that but i i enjoyed the kind of the deepening of that uh, that aspect as well. So yeah, so I liked it, but it was one of these things where this is this is a show which is very concerned with character uh, and dialogue, and I think it works very well. It is not what I would call a big, you know, plot threader. I also think you missed Owen Wilson a little bit. Like I, I, I could have done with some Owen Wilson mm. in this episode. I understand why he's not there, and I thought Sylvie was excellent company, but I, I missed a little bit of the. Yeah, of the it wouldn't have been bad to maybe cut back at some point to the TBA and just see what he's yeah. up to. But um, but no, I, I really get, liked I'm sure it. we'll get more. And I, I, I very much appreciated, you know, this whole debate that was raging last week. Is she a Loki variant? Is she the en- Enchantress? Oh, you're wrong. It's say she's a variant. She's the Enchantress. And the answer is no, she's both. <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought exactly. That was, uh, that was fun. Because I, I think that's pretty clear here. I mean, you know, she does say that's not who I am anymore about being called Loki. So that does say variants rather than mm. pure sort of enchantress backstory in the comics. But Sylvie would would seem to put the the you know the conversation to rest because of course the Sylvie second Lushton. the second enchantress is Sylvie Lushton, the younger version who got her powers from Loki. Yes, and she was created as a tool of chaos, which this one would certainly seem to be. So it just, I, I think that works really well. And mm. I think it's kind of elegant mm. changing uh, for the MCU to do, because they do change backstories all, all the time. And uh, yeah. I quite enjoy this one as, as, a, as a variation, as a variant. Yeah. Um, I did get the, the Doctor Who vibe very, very clearly. And I think it's mostly because they landed in a quarry. In yes. and and then we're in a sort of like just you know kind of one of those offices of that you get and quarries or build, uh, building sites, you know that that's like the the most Doctor Who thing you could possibly do is is being a quarry because it's BBC budget type location scouting. But well, yeah, but and, and in this case they did it with an MCU budget, so it was it Indeed. was quite fun. It, Meteors it felt, falling all over the place. Yeah, it felt it felt Doctor Whoy in a good way without feeling cheap. Without the effects being done on a ZX Spectrum. Look, <laughs> look, they do their best and they do very, they have very, very good storytelling in a lot of Doctor Who. So let's not all pile on it, James, James and Chris. shall we do this in, in three, two, <laughs> one? Do they know? They do. There's a great story. Girl in the fireplace, like 100%. It's a great, great story. Anyway, you know, and what would what would what would the BBC do with all of that cardboard if they didn't have the Doctor oh Who sets these on? So, <laughs> um, I also appreciate that it goes a bit Snowpiercer in the middle, um, and mm. that this planet still has rich people escaping certain doom while the poor are left or to su- suffer or not. I yeah, and I, I I enjoyed their interactions. I enjoyed them putting at each other at Illies and mm-hmm. discussing varying uh, tactics and sort of exchanging information in an extremely guarded way. I thought that was a good character. Yeah. Yeah. Benjamin, what do you make of the whole shebang? 
Yeah, I enjoy this one a lot. I can sort of see why people are saying this is a slightly, oh God, I keep using this phrase, low-key episode. (laughs) Um, But I really appreciate the fact that if this is a low-key episode, it's them on a planet that is a or a moon that's about to be obliterated by a planet. That's no moon. Loki <laughs> squabbling with a f- potentially female variant of himself, doing more introspective digging into what makes a Loki a Loki. That's that. If in a world where that is a, like a quiet episode, I think we're in a pretty amazing sort of time for TV and time for the MCU. I thought it was. An episode that felt small and big at the same time, which is exactly what I want from this kind of series. I want it to feel like a big MCU thing. I thought the whole look of this moon, I keep wanting to say planet, I'm probably going to end up saying planet a lot, but the whole look of this moon, it looked truly ripped straight out of a comic book. I thought it looked visually amazing. It felt kind of big and epic and cinematic. But for the most part of the episode, it is those two having conversations and really sparking off each other. And I totally agree with the Doctor Who comparisons. I think because um, as a Doctor Who fan, that is a good thing for me. That is the most kind of typical Doctor Who construct, right? The TARDIS lands on some kind of planet that is going to be destroyed or a spaceship yeah. that's about to fly into a sun and oh no, the TARDIS has stopped working and we have they like need to get the X thing amount of to time the, to get yeah. the thing to fix the TARDIS to get out in time and maybe save everybody else too. So it wasn't just the um, the, the fact that they landed in a quarry that very much could have been Cardiff. <laughs> um, it, it was the entire construct of this episode felt massively Doctor Who, but I, I love that because I think we've mentioned in previous episodes there are a lot of British people involved in the making of this show. And I love that on the one hand, it's big, it's MCU, it's it's very much kind of Hollywood filmmaking, but they, mm. this series feels really British in its references, in its influences, and in the sort of tone that comes across um, in the episodes that we've seen so far as well. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's like sarkiness or something that, yeah, and, and, and refusal to be self-serious, I think. There's just a real Douglas Adams vibe mm. to the whole TVA mm-hmm. setup and the kind of yeah. ridiculousness of it all, and and it feels really playful. And also, I think we said this in the first episode as well, but I still feel it now. It feels really theatrical. I'm I'm buying into the episodes as we're watching them. I'm not being taken out of it, but at the same time, it does feel like it's playing into these slightly theatrical constructs, especially because of how dialogue heavy it is and. I think there's something that feels quite British about that as mm. well. Last week, for example, we said that whenever Loki disappears through the time door in pursuit of, I guess we're not going to call her Sylvie, mm-hmm. uh, and Mobius is you know, screaming after them, that I didn't know where the show was going to go or when the show was going to go. And I really didn't expect it to go into a two-hander with these two, like leaving Owen Wilson off the table. And we're three episodes in, and we still haven't answered the question Perhaps the biggest question of them all, why uh, an actor of the statue of Gugu Mbatha-Raw has signed up for this, I suspect we will find out in the three remaining episodes. And I suspect there may be revelations about that character to come. Revelations mm. that perhaps are hinted at in a dialogue exchange towards the end of the show. Uh, but I didn't expect this. I did not expect it to be just the two of them. Um, we can make it I if think, we try. Yeah. I think I was about, how long were you guys, how long did you guys get into the episode before you realised it wasn't going to cut away to Mobius? I think I was about 39 to 40 minutes in before <laughs> yeah, I realised it. 
I mean, as soon as they were stranded and knowing it was a slightly shorter episode runtime, I thought, mm. oh, we're going to just stay with these people because that's something I really appreciated in The Mandalorian as well, especially the, well, for yes. the most part of The Mandalorian, there are not B-plots. Mm. Like, this you, felt you like stay, a Mandalorian episode as yeah, well. Yeah, like a me. Mandalorian episode because they go, do you know what, this this is fine being just 35 minutes because in a, if it was a normal 45 minute episode, 10 minutes of that would be your B plot or kind of cutting to a, away to other bits. And actually mm. just to focus on these characters, 35, 36 mm. minutes is enough. By the way, while we're talking about revelations, um, can we agree from now on to refer to him as Mobius the Living Variant? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yes, oh, we can. Yes, that was quite the revelation, wasn't mm. it? They are all variants. We are all variants. Mm. I'm a variant and so is my wife. That's right. Yeah, that was that was interesting. Now, first of all, mm. do we believe her? And yes. second of all, if she is telling the truth, that might explain. You remember we were, we were talking last week about, you know, how Mobius is putting down his cup and a, his mug in a different place. Now, was that a previous Mobius who was there? And putting it in the same spot each time. Whoa. Are they rebooted somehow? These 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 variants. How, how do they recruit these variants, and for what purpose? Lots a big can of worms was opened with that one innocuous throwaway comment. Yeah. Okay. So they, you know, they come through the system like Loki did potentially, take a number, go in front of the judge, and then plea bargain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except they seemed hell bent on. Disintegrating everyone. Yeah, well, through. presumably at some point there's a mind wipe involved. I feel like there must be. They were going to kill Loki. There was no question about that. Presumably because he was so dangerous. In fact, we are, but we do have a, a listener question, a theory mm. about Loki, if you will. Uh, and in fact, I had a theory. I'm going to throw this in here right Please now. Yeah. Okay. It could be um, bunnies, and we're all trapped inside could, some wacky hmm, Broadway nightmare. They could be bunnies. They, you, it's it's entirely possible. So I was wondering where all these variants are springing up from, right? Because mm-hmm. clearly they have many, 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 many variants in order to populate, if this is the tr- the case, in order to populate the TVA. Not just Mobius, not just C20, not just B15. Um, and maybe we'll find their backstories as well as time goes on. And maybe Mobius' backstory on Earth is that he was um, some sort of jet ski dude. Who knows? <laughs> Who the futtock knows? But my theory, and this is, I'm throwing this out there, it's half-ass, half-cocked, but this is what I do. I wonder if this is tied into the snap somehow. And Um. I wonder if the snap and the blip has created a tsunami of variants who have then been hoovered up by the TVA, which obviously exists outside time. For example, Sylvie says that C20 lived hundreds of years years ago on Earth. That's clearly contemporary Earth that we're seeing in the beginning of the episode. So I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the blip and the snap definitely played into WandaVision. They definitely played into Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Wouldn't be surprised if they're playing into pretty much all of these early phase four Disney Plus shows. Mm. You know, I think it's going to play a major part in Hawkeye and what he's doing post-blip. I'm throwing it out there. I'm throwing it out there. Probably bullshit. Usually is. But what do you guys think? I I don't feel instinctively like it all comes from the blip, but it would make absolute sense if a hell of a lot of variants had been created by the blip. Because, you know, like like I was complaining about in episode one with Loki himself, he didn't do anything wrong. The Avengers time traveled. They're the ones who futzed with the sacred timeline. He acted according to his nature. And yet that mm-hmm. makes him a variant and he's the one facing annihilation as a result. 
the mm. Avengers fucked with the timeline of half the universe. So that's got to create other variants um, beyond Loki. And well, yeah. so it would make sense that there would be a tidal wave coming from that event. But the implication of everything we've seen in the show so far is that this is a regular occurrence, that, that variants are a regular problem that the TV, mm. uh, from the TVA's point of view, that the TVA deals with on a daily basis and has an entire system set up to, to address. So I don't think it's only the blip. But okay, so so that's that's interesting. So um, James, Helen, you guys are the sci-fi gurus, all right? I like to think so. Yeah. So, <laughs> tell me about variants, parallel dimensions, limitless timelines. How can this Loki, Sylvie, hmm. and all the previous variants we saw last week? You know, the guy who looks like a like a some sort of troll, the Tour de France winner, all that. How can they? My theory was that they all stemmed in some way from the Loki Prime. That he something happened and he peeled off mm. in a different direction to what he was meant to do, and then these variants were created. But that doesn't seem to be the case here. So, is this a, a variant who's in a completely different timeline? What 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 the hell? Well, in theory, then there's infinite permutations of every conceivable outcome, isn't there? Sort of, if you're talking about then every single decision made since the dawn of time creates a branch in the temporal tree. So there are. Infinite, infinite trouser legs. Of, of, yeah, exactly. They're infinite trouser legs, and each trouser leg brings forth another infinite trouser legs. It's just, mm. it's never ending. So you could have Loki's of you every. Remember that thing with the hands when Doctor Indeed. Strange was, and all yes. the hands have more hands, and there's hands coming on from a hand. Hands so that's hands kind of like what the timeline should look like, right? And, and sort Indeed. of a lot of mm. multiverse kind of. Um, and I'm not talking from a physics point of view, I'm talking from a science fiction point of view. Yes. A lot of science fiction is basically the idea that almost every decision, however minor, creates a different world. So there may be worlds which are exactly like ours, but that bird flew left instead of right at that one time. And there may right. be worlds that are a lot like ours, except Genghis Khan died at birth, and so the entire global map looks different, right? So there's there's yeah. you know, yeah. there's very different variations on how alien these worlds are gonna be. And in some science fiction, the worlds are absolutely infinite. Every single thing that every single living being does mm -hmm. creates a new world. In others, they kind of collapse in on themselves if they're not different enough. They mm -hmm. kind of collapse back so it's together. Like nexus events create big branching yeah. alterations okay. in the timeline. Or you get things like in sliders where it's exactly the same except for one mighty thing, like a penguin is pointing the other way or something, you know, yeah. random. Which you, yeah, you see, so it's like where Peter B. Parker doesn't look, for example, like the Chris Pine Peter Parker in Spider Verse. Yeah, or like there's a there's a Shaun the of the same. Dead too in in Miles Morales' yeah. world, which we don't have in ours. Yes, kind of thing. which we're doing a spoiler special for, by the way, in that alternative universe. Well, that's comforting <laughs> just to think we're out there comforting. somewhere watching Shaun of yeah. the Dead too. Still doing this shit. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what, that's what we're doing in every single branch of the multiverse. <laughs> yeah. We are still doing this same shit. <laughs> but. But yeah, but this this conception of the multiverse is different. So that's what I was trying to explain last week. It feels like there badly, are clearly. I know, well, yes, that's true. There are multiple realities here because there's one where Loki is a big troll dude, right? And that yes. that isn't a moment in time that he suddenly became a troll dude and became a variant. That's evolution. That's a result of all those decisions. That's evolution. Yeah, so, that's evolution. so like millions of years beforehand, there, there'll be loads of different parallel universes where there isn't a Loki. Yeah. But then there'll be loads of parallel universes where- There are weird Lokis. There's been a convergence of events and there's an Odin or an Odin type and he's got together with Frigga or a Frigga type and there's a there's a, a, a Laufey, Laufey or Laufey type 
and they result in Loki mostly looking like Tom Hiddleston, but sometimes looking like Sofia Di Martino. Okay, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. So I think the idea is that if you if you like, all those worlds share maybe like a common root system, and then they have all these different trunks, which are all these different realities. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what the TVA is trying to do is prune the branches. So there's yes. been chaos at the beginning. There is now multiple parallel realities, but yes. the TVA stops any of them branching further. That was what I was trying to explain last week. There's actually a kind of Japanese cult, uh, agriculture system that does this with trees, and it looks amazing. It's very helpful. If I could have a picture, I would help, but I, okay. I don't have one. Well, you can, we can share screens now on Scottcast. That's true. If, if I find can find it, it, it I will do that. So obviously, I knew all that. I was just playing devil's advocate, so you would explain it for the folks at home. Thank you for doing that. I already knew it. Of course. <coughs> bullshit. That's bullshit. <coughs> anyway, did we discuss this in last week's show? I can't remember. Uh, but about the utter skeeviness of what the TVA is up to, in that they are just butchering people, presumably in their yes. thousands, maybe even in their hundreds of thousands. As we've discussed in previous podcasts, there's a genocidal aspect to this, which is really, really troubling. They're taking a leaf straight out of the fascist's playbook in that they are dehumanizing an entire strata of people with one word, variant, so that the TVA workers will no longer think of these people as as people with real emotions and real feelings and real pasts and real histories. Rather, they'll see them as variants, something that could be extinguished fairly easily. That is deeply, deeply unsettling. They're clearly not good guys, this organization, but that that all seems most interesting. And uh, the revelation this week, of course, that they're then employing variants to kill their own kind without buy or leave. Yeah, that's yeah. that's unsettling to say the least. Oh, look, Helen's put the trees up. Very nice. So it's called Daisugi, if people want to look it up. D-A-I-S-U-G-I. And that is how uh, there's a Japanese pruning technique for cedars. Yeah, that makes them grow straight up. So it's very good for timber and that kind of thing, basically. So you can see uh, this one outside the house is quite a good example. It looks like a big bonsai tree then with like sort of redwoods growing growing out out of the the top. top. Yeah. Crazy. Bloody hell, this has turned into gardening hour. This is, <laughs> this is very, very strange. Anyway, let's talk about how the, um, because they, they actually use these words, don't they? They use words like branch and they use words like prune yeah. um, to talk about what they do at the TVA. So what do you think about the TVA's agenda, the TV agenda? And what do you think about this this revelation that, that it's now Farian's wiping out Farian's? I, I think it's really notable and uh, quite powerful that Sylvie used the phrase omniscient fascists Mm. like she seems to know and be very aware of what the tva is doing and how it operates and is one of seemingly the only people in the entire multiverse who is operating outside that system who has that kind of control and autonomy and the way that she frames it is that yeah these guys are fascists they are the ones Mm. in charge of everything deciding what goes and what doesn't go without any oversight and I think that's kind of what we felt from the beginning yeah. with this series where you go, wait, 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 wait. There are three space lizards? Who the hell put these guys yeah. in charge? And do they even exist? And who is making these decisions? And I think it's there is an extra layer if the fact that all the people who are being uh, quote unquote employed by the TVA, and I'm wondering exactly, yeah, how complicit they are in that. I agree with Helen that 
it would seem to me that there's probably some mind wiping or a lot of mind wiping mm. happening in those situations. I think it does seem to be speaking to certain systems of oppression and control and manipulation that they are using variants to wipe out variants. And there is no way of knowing who and how and why these decisions are being made. I'm really intrigued to learn more about that in the next couple of episodes, because I think they've done a really good job of teasing a lot of that out so far and showing kind of maybe who knows what, um, especially in terms of Sylvie seeming mm. to have some of the answers. Um, mm. So I want to know what those answers are. Well, of course, that's one of the frustrating things about the episode is that they have all these long conversations. At no point does she decide, to confide uh, because in there's him. still three episodes to mm. go, she doesn't go, hey, Loki, this is what the TVA actually is, and this is what they're up to, and this is why we're going to team up and stop them. She doesn't do that. Mm. Instead, they want to you know, have a bit more of a touchy-feely session, not in that way. Well, I mean, that would be confusing for everyone. I mean, the uh, they do almost touch on it at one point where he sort of goes, oh, what? So great plan. You were going to, you know, tear down the TVA, create the ultimate power vacuum and walk away. And she doesn't deny that, but it's also like he doesn't have the information to make that decision. She, he doesn't know that that's what she decided to do. It does make it sound like his plan was to, you know, infiltrate the TVA, get himself into a position of power, and then decide whether to turn it down, tear it down or not a little bit. You know, like he he yes. was maybe a little bit more flexible in that, because as we all know, Loki is not 100% sold on freedom for everybody. He's just 100% no. set on freedom for himself. <laughs> So yes. um, it's it's interesting because I think she will be the one who kind of removes that option, if you like, from the table for him, because yes. I think he might have set him up himself up as the TVA dictator god, if left to his own devices. I think he might have done, but I think he's beginning. He's already been a, a sort of kinder, mellower, gentler Loki than perhaps we had seen. Given that this is the guy who literally just a couple of days ago in the timeline of the show mm. was killing Agent Coulson in cold blood Bastard. and threatening to take over the world. And now he's he's evolving a little bit. He's evolving. Uh, I will say, though, uh, that Sylvie is wrong about the TVA being the ultimate power vacuum. The ultimate power vacuum, of course, is the Dyson Outsize Absolute at just £699.99 with a 25% bigger cleaner head and 150% bigger bin and up to 120 minutes of runtime. It laser detects the particles you can't normally see and has an anti-tangle hair screw tool. Go to Dyson.co.uk for more information. That's Spelled amazing. I'm going to go to my local, uh, go to my local <laughs> rocks cart and pick one up right now. Your commitment to that joke deserves applause. <laughs> At one point, am I am I advertising Dyson? I think I am. I think I am. Let's go for it. Let's go for other, it. Other vacuum cleaners are available, and if any of them would like to sponsor yeah. the show, we will absolutely advertise them. Please instead. do. Yeah, I don't have a Dyson. Uh, we use something else, a fax. Maybe we use a fax. Mm. Anyway, just a fax, ma'am. Just a fax. Anyway. I don't like those ones. I'm I'm anti-vax. Oh, uh, God. No. Oh, Ben. Oh, Ben. No, no, not in that sense. In the vacuum sense. Come on. Yeah. Oh, no. I have oh, a Henry. Poor- I bet oh, you do. Henry's Pardon. a classic. <laughs> I have a Hetty, if you can believe that. Uh, uh, I have a Hetty, which is oh the, God, the pink girl Henry. We should, yes. we should totally hook up our Henry and Hetty. Is Hetty a Henry variant? Yeah. Yes. She's Holy oh shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's 100% true. Anyway, uh, all this talk about Sylvie and what she's saying and her grand plans for the TVA made me think that we're now three episodes in. We haven't, as with WandaVision, we haven't yet identified our big bad. 
We talked about this in last week's show. But mm. uh, my strong suspicion is that Gugu Mbatha-Raw has been <laughs> handed the scripts for episodes four, five, and six. <laughs> and at Judge Renslayer, there is more there than meets the eye. And I don't mean Optimus Prime. I mean that I think she's up to her fucking neck in Skullduggery. <gasps> That's what Not I think is Skullduggery. Um, and the very same. Wow. No, um, I mean, she, she does begin to hint at it somewhat this episode. You know, she's been... Right. By the standards of a hanging judge, which she basically is, she's been fairly pleasant to date. You know, we've mostly seen her interacting with Mobius, who clearly has a little bit of a crush, why wouldn't you? And has, you know, a very sort of respectful, kind of friendly relationship with her. So we've we've sort of seen a lot of that to date. I think she begins to reveal a bit more than that here with her absolute lack of hesitation. When uh, when Sylvie takes Loki hostage and says I'll kill him and and she's like and <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah cool saves me doing yeah. the, you know so I think she's um, beginning to reveal a bit more of the ruthlessness that we 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 have obviously seen from her but we saw it in the in the sense of being willing to uphold the law to the point of killing people not to the in in this sort of slightly more sadistic sense that she reveals here it's also interesting in Sylvie's brief incursion into the TVA that for all her planning and all the information she has about the TVA, she doesn't seem to have been there before. She doesn't seem to know how it works. She's surprised when her powers don't work yeah. in the TVA, for example. And then from that moment on, she's like almost like our Loki in that she's winging it desperately and has no fucking clue of what to do next, which is, of course, where our Loki tends to thrive. That gives me hope of potentially Loki and Sylvie teaming up in these next couple of episodes to take down the TVA together in that maybe she knows how the TVA operates and what is happening here, uh, but he is actually within the TVA. He knows kind of where everything is and and the fact that magic doesn't work there. And so maybe that would be a great partnership mm. to take on these evil space lizards uh, together if they do <laughs> exist, which I kind of still hope they do exist. I want to see some crazy weird space lizards. Maybe Renslayer is a space lizard. And and look, in the comics, she's been connected with Kang. We know Kang is coming. One of them kind of looks like Kang. Mm-hmm. It's possible um, that there'll be space lizard at Kang action. Wait, that sounded wrong too. But you know, it's possible there'll <laughs> be something. Their, there. uh, we have to leave fiction. the fan fiction at home. We have to <laughs> once once we press record, you have to stop writing that filth and commit fully wow. to this podcast. Wow. You've talked about this. <laughs> anyway. I'm being accused of filth. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's the Dyson, you know, blurb writers, if anybody, that have contributed the most filth so far. Why? Just because the Dyson Outsize Absolute offers 25% more coverage with every sweep, the 32 centimeter wide high torque XL cleaner head covers 25% more floor with each sweep than the standard Dyson Good Outsize Lord. vacuum for faster room cleaning. For more information, go to dyson.co.uk. <laughs> Should we talk about Sylvie and Loki and their conversations? Because each one does advance, does tell us something about both characters, does tell us something about him, I would say, more than her. Mm. Uh, what revelations stood out for you from their various interactions in this episode? Well, obviously, the crucial one was the uh, the fact that he came out as bi, as you mentioned earlier on, and the fact that uh, Kate Heron went to Twitter to talk about how when she signed on to make Loki, she was very. It was very important to her to acknowledge that fact and to have that as part of the show, mm. which I thought was a nice touch. 
Um, but you can certainly, and I like the idea that they're both mirrors of each other in that respect. Uh, and it, the way it was handled, I think, was very nice as well. A little bit of both, as I suspect, it's the same for you or whatever he mm. says to her. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a lovely moment. Yeah, I thought that was handled just right in that they made it um, very, very clear. There is no kind of other way of reading that, and at the same time, making it not a big deal. Uh, yeah. I yeah. think the way that they managed to pull that off was really, really well done, and it feels. Uh, th- this is something that Disney and Marvel, but especially Disney at large, has danced around for so long in so many projects of not necessarily committing to kind of making characters properly LGBTQ plus in a kind of fully acknowledged or f- easily readable way. Mm-hmm. Or when they do, it's in the most, most minor circumstances in a throwaway line here and there. And on the one hand, this was a kind of throwaway line. It was just a part of their conversation. And yet, at the same time, to commit to having a major character, one of the most popular characters, one of the biggest characters in the MCU so far, to make that canon, to write that in, um, I think is actually really powerful. And I'm really, really glad they've done it. And I think it's going to make a lot of people feel very seen. I mean, there are barely any bi characters on TV and in film, especially, obviously, we saw in the forms in episode one, he is, his gender is various or whatever, but to have like a male bi character as well is extra rare. So Mm. I'm really glad that they did it. I'm glad that it meant something to Kate Heron, and I think it's going to mean a lot to a lot of people. So um, I fully applaud them for doing it, especially with bisexual lighting in the background. Lots of blues, <laughs> reds, purples. Very well done. Yeah. And overall, it's obviously a great, significant step for the MCU. doesn't feel like a great, significant step for Loki himself. He clearly doesn't see his sexuality as a big deal at all. And that's obviously where we want to get to in the long term, that declarations like this are no big deal. But for me, there's an element of this is tell, not show. But of course, it's easier for them to disclose that in a throwaway line than it is in meaningful action. But I guess that conversation was about shining a light on something that, because Loki has always been very much in Thor's shadow in any of his appearances in the MCU, We've never had time to focus on mm. those issues, on what he, you know, whether he's attracted to anybody and whether he is capable of falling in love with somebody. So it's interesting that now in that little conversation that they were both able to talk about whether it's important to them or whether love is important to them. And, you know, mm. they go through all kinds of iterations of what love is, love is love, hate. Chris, is an imaginary dagger, as I think <laughs> we can <is>. all agree. <laughs> love is mischief. I loved that. I loved his little dagger analogy. I thought it was beautiful from end to yeah. end, right to the point where she's like, this is nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was like, as soon as he said it, when he was like, love is a dagger, I was like, oh, that's such a great line. And when they said, it makes no sense, I was like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. No, but, but I it's like still it. a great line. <laughs> yeah. The best part of it, it worked right up until the end mm. until you're like no actually it doesn't make yeah. sense but it was lovely it was really beautiful beautifully written I, I wonder as well like if there are going to be sort of I don't know asexuals aromantics out there who also take comfort from this discussion and, and this whole that whole scene um, I don't think I definitely don't think he's aromantic at all I also don't think he's asexual but I don't think he's aromantic at all I think both of them desperately want to be in love but aren't very good at it that's my take I, I don't think that's um particularly controversial. I feel like that's what that entire scene is about. They like it. They've seen it in other people. They, they're clear that it works. 
they haven't mm-hmm. found it themselves and and are maybe both wondering whether that is a a function of their nature uh, whether a, a trickster is also capable of you know true love true love yeah, see, true blaze. i always saw loki as being as he described like a self-described hedonist you know that yeah. he probably indulges in pleasures of the flesh like he indulges in every pleasure but he strikes me as a mm. you know a one and done type chap but then speaking to variant loki you mm. start to as well actually no she had a real sort of like longing the way she described her uh, postman who i can only assume is kevin costner um <laughs> so you know I, I thought that was i thought that was nice and that shows layers because she is you know a reflection of him in some ways yeah so. i no, i i definitely this is what i'm saying i definitely don't think he's asexual i think he's absolutely a a hedonist in that respect, quite the opposite. Um, but I do think both of them in that scene showed that they're romantics, actually, and there is something underneath. That's interesting. See, the, the impression that I've got is, apart from the fact that they obviously don't have time to dwell on Loki's love life in the Thor movies or the Avengers movies in which he's appeared, but it's just not the be-all and end-all for him. Because he's been too busy. And so in Thor, he was too busy plotting to take over the throne of Asgard. In the Avengers, he was too busy plotting to take over Earth. In Thor the Dark World, he was too busy being imprisoned and then plotting to take over the throne of Asgard. And then in Thor Ragnarok, he was just too busy just kind of flumping around to I mean, really think about this on, sort of he was stuff. eating grapes and lounging around. So. Yeah, no, yeah. I think I think in both, in both the first Thor and... In Ragnarok, you know, he's definitely living the high life and enjoying doing it, and I'm sure having many, many anonymous partners. But I think it would take somebody quite extraordinary to hold his attention for more than five minutes, and mm. and I think that's what's been missing. And I think that's true of her as well. I think that's very, very clear in this scene. It's it's not They're clearly a lack made of- for each other. <laughs> I feel like I'm going into very uncomfortable territory here. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm Are not gonna saying have- they're going to shag each other. I'm just saying that there's. I think it's difficult for people like that to find somebody. I, I weirdly, I think they they're perfectly suited, given that they are both clearly massive narcissists. And yeah. who, who better? Who better than a, than sure. a, you know another version of themselves? I mean, look, it's it's not incest, is it? It's just you know, I mean, self care is very is it important. <laughs> it's is self it, is it masturbation? Self-care. Yeah, I mean, basically, <laughs> masturbation. Yeah. I don't know. It's complicated, guys. But no, I, I what I th- basically what I'm trying to say is I think there was real melancholy and longing and uh, you know desire in both of them in that scene and i think you really see it in him as well i think there is regret that they have not found what for example his parents had i think there is a desire to be more than they are and Mm. and i think they're both aware that they're not there yet or maybe ever will be i just i think it's really sad Something I love about this show so far is just generally how they've found different ways of naturalistically coming up with situations or conversations where Loki can effectively be introspective, but out loud. So obviously the the whole thing in the first episode with him watching the the highlights or lowlights reel of everything that's going to happen to his future self. And then in this, uh, the conversations that he has with Sylvie, where it is conversations effectively with himself Mm. and digging into who he is in a way that we've never seen before, but they found a way of externalizing it without it feeling like a construct. And I think that's really, really great writing. Yeah. Um, uh, across yeah all of those conversations yeah because i mean he's also analyzing what makes him different but the other they're both finding out what they don't share and therefore maybe having a greater understanding of the forces that shape them into the person that they are so clearly his mother obviously being a key key influence here but also being a prince of asgard and you get the sense she's been maybe more school of hard knocks a little bit mm. in her life than he has there's also something interesting in the fact that she does want to be called loki mm. 
she's renounced a name. I wonder if this might be where we're going with this variant of Loki, that he might, I don't know, uh, he might think that it's associated with too much trauma, too much pain. Maybe, maybe, or or, or we might find out why she doesn't want to be called Loki. Mm. There's lots of little interesting wrinkles, I think, Mm. in the things that they say to each other. And I I will absolutely concede that the, the biggest revelation of the episode was that Loki is bi. I would say a close second is that Loki can't go backwards on a train. 100% 100% yes. with him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I loved that line. That line was up there with who's got the figgy port yep. for me. <laughs> <Yes>. Hashtag relatable. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> we now know that Nick Fury doesn't like his toes cut into triangles and that Loki can't go backwards on a train. I mean, we're, are these guys, are we? Are these characters being filled out or are they being filled out? I mean, come on. It, it is apparently safer because if the train crashes, I think you're you're actually safer being... Uh, facing backwards, but I mean, right. no, I don't like it. It's not good. He's also a god. He's pretty much going to survive I mean, that. He'll be fine. Why, why He'll be risk fine. it? You know. But. Yeah, uh, I haven't been checking Twitter today, so I hadn't seen Kate Heron's comments about about uh, Loki. But I wouldn't be surprised if Twitter was uh, a glow with speculation and a buzz with speculation about the identity of the postman that Sylvie mentions. And I wondered if people are putting two and two together and coming up with Willie Lumpkin, who is, of course, the Fantastic Four's mailman played in Fantastic Four, brackets, 2005, close brackets, by the late, great Stan Lee. And I I wonder if this is a way into the arrival in episode five, yes, of Reed Richards and Willie Lumpkin (gasps) riding Mephisto and the X-Men into battle to save the day. Yes, Willie please. Lumpkin confirmed, question mark? <laughs> In idle basis speculation on the Empire podcast, <laughs> <laughs> Willie Lumpkin was confirmed. Uh, yes, indeed. So. I don't think the postman is a thing. I just think that was a joke, but okay. I know it's a thing. Okay. I know it's a joke. It's I know, I know, I know I'm, you I'm know not, it's a joke, but I also, I'm not, like, I don't think the, like, I don't even yeah. see a, a an emotional thing in that. I just, that was just a joke. But. No, but that's the danger of these shows. Like, you know, they can't even <laughs> mention something. They can't even mention someone's occupation without someone mm-hmm. somewhere going down some sort of ra- rabbit hole on Reddit or going on the dark web. No, the I ended dark up in the dark web. web for ages. Oh, no, it was terrible. Uh, anyhow. Uh, oh, what for the dark web? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that'd be horrific. One of the MCU's weakest. Yeah. Did anyone I really like the callback where Loki drinks the drink and then throws huh. the glass down the ground yes, and shouts yeah. another. Yeah. Another. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Very Asgardian. Can we talk powers? And can we talk uh, my, I think I said this in last week's show, but my theory is that Loki, the Hiddleston Loki at the end of this this series is going to be massively upgraded in terms of what he is or what he's capable of. We saw that a couple of times in this week's episode, and I want to, t- I want to pick your brains about that. I want you to, to speculate away about what those displays of hitherto unseen power, did you just say hitherto? Um, unseen power might indicate for one uh i also want to talk about this idea that he is grilling sylvie for information about how she does enchantments so i get the sense that he's going to augment his skill set oh yeah well they've shown the seeds for that in that she taught herself to do magic so if she can teach herself that then theoretically he can teach himself to do anything i I think that's 100 percent what's happening there and i think like she does give him everything he needs to then effectively come up with it. And and you get the sense that he is, to some extent, self-taught. I know Frigga taught him a lot, but you get the sense that Loki picks things up pretty quickly. 
he is an opportunist. He always has been. So um, it would make perfect sense that he picks that up. But I think she'll do the same a mm. little bit. I think there'll there'll be a bit of a power swap between them. And I'm not terribly worried about seeing new powers for him that we haven't seen before because we've seen a lot and it, you know he has been very very impressive even without the staff and you get the sense that we were we were still only scratching the surface there so it makes sense that they would kind of go back more to his comic powers set and really kind of develop what we've seen on screen like that's the whole point of this show right is to give us more loki than we've seen before and it feels fair as well, considering the amount of kind of extra power that Thor has accrued mm. over his time in the MCU, that obviously losing Mjolnir and then being like, no, I am the lightning. And it feels like he's massively leveled up over the course of those films in a way that Loki has never really been able to. So mm. only seems fair to me. I think so. But I think the, the more pressing question, of course, is that uh, Sylvie's headset, of course, her headpiece, I should say, is only half complete, which does beg the critical question, who's got the horn? Oh dear God! At least it wasn't. A, where's the hammer? Where's the handle thing? I, could, you know? I, could, I was worried I it was no, going to no, be a no, where's you the said handle. You said it. You said no, it. No, but I'm no. worried. Where's the handle? Where's the handle? Help me find it. You were supposed to protect his god. You were supposed to help us. Oh God! Why, Helen? Why did you do that? It's been a long time. It has been a long time. It's been, it's been a long, long, long time. time. Long, long time. Uh, so you guys aren't at all intrigued or intrigued, wondering yes. yeah, yeah yeah but not like not like worried not like outraged that i haven't seen this power before and now i'm seeing it not like oh okay. my god they're so inconsistent like i'm just like oh cool that happened i liked it and it feels consistent with what he has shown in other power sets before it, the way that she says that she can yeah like reach in and grab people's minds it is manipulation yeah. and that's what he does he is a manipulator and so even though we haven't seen hilston loki necessarily do that in that way yet it feels consistent with what that character has been able to do but just an, an achievement he hasn't unlocked yet mm. well it's kind of we have kind of seen him done it but we, he did it obviously with the mind with stone the so we didn't really count it but it's possible that there was a bit more of loki in that than we perhaps gave it credit for okay so i just want to focus on the the green energy bolt that he uses on the train and perhaps even more significantly the moment when he seems to stop debris from crushing them both and then seems to reverse time and put the bolt back where it was. That's what I he seems to do. I thought that was more to telekinesis. Do. It felt like he was pushing it back into place as mm. opposed to rewinding time, because that would be a significant upgrade. Well, either way, that's, level, that's a power level he hasn't really displayed before. That's a, that's yeah, a that's power. true. That is true. Yeah, catching a building is... I thought it was a building that he then put back in place. Maybe I'm wrong, but... um. But either way, it's a big step up on in terms of physically what we've seen him do before. I'm trying to remember back to that first fight against the Frost Giants, because I don't think we saw anything quite this extreme. But we did see, yeah. you know, magic being used as a be, being weaponized there, and not just it's the quite knives. illusion based, though, isn't it? His mm. deception has always been his major tool. Yeah. Like he's here, no, he's not here. This is an illusion. This isn't him. Plus, he has two big ass knives. Um, but that seems to have been how, what he's relied upon in the past. Mm. That or a staff with an infinity stone in it. It's interesting. But then I wonder, like, has he needed to? I wonder. Cause he ha I wonder. Because has he needed to? Because, you know, he wanted to appear weak enough that the Avengers could hold him at, at that point in Germany during that fight. Then he had an army at his beck and call, so obviously thought it was beneath him to do the heavy lifting. And I think generally thinks it's beneath him to do the heavy lifting. So I'm not sure when we should have seen it before. 
Well, hmm. theoretically, if he had some more impressive skills, using them on the Hulk would have probably saved him some pain. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Although he was surprised there. He was taken aback. So, yeah. Yeah. I did wonder what his end game was with the Hulk. You know, he just runs up to him, I am a god, you dull creature. It's like, what are you going to do? You're going to stab him with your pointy knife? Is that what you're going to do? You're going to blast me a little energy field? No, you're not. You're not. You're going to be fucking ragdolled. Uh, anyway, let's take some questions, shall we? Sure. Okay. Oh, here's a question that came from at Nick Collins pod. On Sunday, do we think the other analysts are in fact Mobius clones? Uh, in the comics, the TVA has various versions of Mobius working for them, such as Mr. Tesseract, Mr. Ouroboros, and Mr. Paradox. Ooh, good names. Good names. So then maybe the secret analyst that Renslayer is keeping from Mobius, the one who gave her the pen from the Franklin D. Roosevelt High School, is another Mobius. And perhaps one who's in on the whole TVA shenanigans. And that could lead to Mobius versus Mobius. As we have Loki with Loki, Mobius and Mobius, variants all over the shop, basically. It feels like they could take it either way. Like uh, It makes me wonder, with what we learned this week, whether, yeah, uh, this Mobius is was a normal person who has been kind of taken over and absorbed into the TVA, or whether he is literally a construct mm. of the TVA, in which case it would be very possible that there are multiple Mobiuses, maybe Mobius MM Mobius and Mobius MMM Mobius, an infinite number of Mobiuses uh, uh, on a sort of wooey, loopy conveyor belt. Uh, they just get plucked off when they need a new one. I'm really intrigued to see how they kind of expand on who everyone in the TVA is, where the TVA is, when the TVA is, how mm. real the TVA mm. is. I have so many questions about it. And it, uh, it's kind of fun at this midpoint of the series that we've veered off onto this uh, doomed moon, which is fun to say. Uh, but I'm quite excited to loop back around and get back to wherever and whenever the hell that is and, and figure it all out. Yeah, I, I do. I will say that my one kind of... Um note with this episode aside from it suddenly finishing and me being like wait what no more um but my one note is i don't think we have enough time in six episodes to get extremely you know side mission heavy and i kind of wanted to get back to that that propulsive kind of main story not because i didn't like the character scenes more because i'm like oh well i don't want them stuck on this planet for three episodes and then just rush to get it all done at the end back yeah. at the TVA or wherever. Um so that was my my only big note about the episode is like yeah okay but let's seriously though let's get back to back to work though. Come on. Come on. Between that's this and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier it's like episode 3 is when we go off somewhere else that's kind of glowy and purple before we then get back <laughs> yeah, to uh, where we were. neon. Yeah, good point. Mm -hmm. I think the glowy purpleness is kind of canon canon canon. canon. It's kind of canon. It's kind of canon because uh, Lamentis is from the comics. Yes. Like, it's it's on the edge of Kree space. I think it's the Quasar and Moon Dragon are there in, I want to say, and I say I want to say because I looked it up, it's Annihilation Conquest Prologue number one. Mm -hmm. So I love yeah. this. I love that we're all trying to pretend like we know what this is. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. According to the internet, though, this, this has literally appeared as a throwaway reference in, in a comic yeah. book. So, like, there's some really... That's a deep well, dive. They go there. Yeah. They don't just yeah. talk about it. Okay. Um but that may be his only appearance. I don't know. I don't know. Someone who has uh, read that stuff will write yeah, in the to palette, tell the us. Color, no the, the palette is the same. Mm. The palette. The purple palette. The lovely yes, the purple, purple palette. palette. Uh, have we mentioned the theory, and a few people have written in about this, uh, including a couple today, that 
the TVA. In fact, I said this, didn't I, in the first episode? Mm-hmm. Now think back that the TVA might exist in the quantum realm. Yeah. And some people have said that it might be the city that you can just about glimpse in, I think it's Ant-Man and the Wasp? Mm-hmm. No, Ant-Man. The first Ant-Man, where he goes and there's like a there's a glittering city in the in the in the in the distance. So what what do we make of that? I mean, I guess knowing or or that it's been reported slash theorized that Kang is coming in through Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, that would be a way of get it right. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that would be a way of of tying all of those things together, and it would make sense if this is supposed to be sort of outside time or somewhere that time doesn't work normally. Um, The quantum realm pretty much seemed to Mm. have that function for for Scott Lang, so Mm. yeah, very possible, like Milton Keynes. Sure. But yeah, I mean, look, if you're, I mean, as I know from reading A Tale of Time City by Diana Wynne Jones, if you're going to have a, a time city in somewhere that controls the timeline, logically speaking, it cannot be part of the timeline. It has to be outside where it can keep an eye on the entire timeline. Um, all right. So, for the love of all God. we know about, are you getting it? Honestly, it's such a good book. I mean, it's a kid's book, but it's What's such it a called? good kid's book. A Tale of Time City. Really, really good. Anyway. Um, but as all, all we know about the the TVA is that it is a big base of operations, and it can can keep an eye on the whole timeline. And we now know it has, you know, there are people there who've been there for hundreds of years. So it would make sense that it's somewhere outside the timeline. And the only place in the MCU so far that we know that is outside of normal time is the quantum realm. So that doesn't mean it's definitely there, but it, it it's the only place that we have cause to suspect right now, even apart from the, that um, that moment in Ant-Man, which to be fair, could be just, you know, special effects artists having having a gag. I mean- Is the quantum realm outside of time? It's just time passes at a different rate, surely. But and if then you, can you can travel also- backwards and forwards through the quantum realm, then the quantum realm must be outside time. Because reasons. Did they ever truly explain how yeah. that worked? Um, <laughs> but I, I kind of feel like, yeah, having a place outside of time feels, uh, feels like a classic- uh, you know, science fiction thing, as you've already talked about. But yeah, I, I I wonder whether they need an existing place. I wonder if it's more interesting if it just exists outside yeah. of time in and of itself. I'd probably be a little disappointed if it was like, you know, really mm. small. <laughs> <laughs> but just tiny. But that's not what the quantum realm is exactly. It's not just really small. It's just like a whole I mean, other- I but it is really small. It's okay, but it's also like a whole other like level of like being and shit. Yeah, but it's it's really yeah, small. It is also, as you say, really small. <laughs> it's not very impressive. I mean, no, but you- Oh, small. what? So small things can't be impressive to you? I mean- <laughs> Size matters such. Steady, um, steady. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's not how big it is. It's what they do with it. Oh, God, I'm fucked in both counts. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Or not, as the case may be. Anyway, let's move on. (laughs) Uh, If they use the good places, Jeremy Beremy timeline, maybe it's in the dot of the eye. Maybe it's in the dot of the eye in Jeremy Beremy. That's where they've kept Owen Wilson this week. Hand him back. We need Mobius. We need Mobius in our lives. Stat. Mm. By the way, when Helen said uh, the TVA's big base, then I was like, oh, I really want to hear the TVA's big base in like an office party. And then I was thinking mm-hmm. of like Mobius doing some like awkward office party dancing. Yes. Yeah. I would like that in the remaining three episodes, please. All your big base are belong to us. Helen, I've just bought a copy of A Tale of Time City. Right. Your endless shilling for Diana yes. Wynne-Jones has paid off. As I hope my endless shilling for Dyson will do so as well. <laughs> uh, right, let me see. Uh, next question comes from 
Uh, our old chum at Cantona's Ghost. Do you think Loki's actually trying to learn about Sylvie in order to compare how her life varied to his and justify his lifestyle by using his methods? Does the drunk scene, for example, just putting away my, my debit card, does the drunk scene represent his relaxation of his old ways with him acting similarly to how he thinks Thor would? I think I feel there's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's tactical advantage. Yeah. I mean, he's a shrewd operator, but I also think he's interested. Mm. Like, because as you would be, like, if you met a different, very, very different variant of yourself, you would be curious as to how their past diverged from yours and how they mm. became the person they are, and also maybe give you a little bit of insight into who you are. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. So I think there's, there's there's definitely some interest there. I think the drunk thing is just that Loki is, as he said, he's a hedonist, as he says, with his hands on his hips in a brilliant, brilliant moment. <laughs> um, you know, he just obviously saw the opportunity to get twatted and sing in Asgardian and fuck me he took it absolutely <laughs> i respect it massively so do i we all relax in our own ways i'm a massive hedonist are you, you are huge hedonist i had a coke zero earlier on and two penguins <gasps> two <gasps> count them two next question is related to that is from at first ad greggles i wonder what he does for a living Loving the dynamics between Loki and Sylvie, it's everything Falcon and the Winter Soldier was lacking. I said that last week about Mobius and Loki, <laughs> and then we forgot to expand upon it. But mm. basically, I think this is giving you all the buddy movie banter that you would expect from the show that was meant to give you that. Yeah, yeah I think so. I I love their dynamic. It's It's compelling. And they have a real kind of chemistry together as well the way they bounce off each other and i think they're they're because he's not not exactly try hard but he's definitely not the one with the upper hand and she's tolerating him but you see her slightly warming to him or at least learning to to deal with his existence um yeah. and it's lovely it's 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 fun you you love being you know the gooseberry in that in that situation <laughs> sitting like the fly on the woods being there <laughs> watching them bounce off each other and flirt with each other is brilliant mm, story of my in life, a way yeah. that you which is <laughs> <laughs> but like, do you know what I mean? Like, if we'd had that in Falcon and Winter Soldier, it would have made that a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, it, like, I mean, honestly, Loki is not helping our collective memory of Falcon and Winter Soldier just generally, no. is it? No, it's not. No. I... It's not so much a will they, won't they, with Loki and Sylvie. It's more of a will I, won't I. <laughs> uh, Greggles also goes on to say, "Was it just me who thought that Loki's singing was very similar to Merry and Pippin in Lord of the Rings?" I, mean, I think any drinking song sounds the same. All drinking songs sound the same. So that's yes, correct. Be it Elvish or Asgardian. Mm. Yeah. I want to go back now and see whether there are points in the MCU where Loki could have broken into song. I think that might have really, you know, livened up the Battle of New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am a god, you dull creature. That could be quite fun. Hey, he did his takeover at the opera. His chance yeah. was there. And he is a full <laughs> diva on the, on the world's biggest mm -hmm. stage, you know, so. At Alvin wrote this, if you spent a day with an opposite gender variant of yourself, would you get along and what would you do? I'm already a same, assuming, I'm already assuming Jane Dyer will murder James. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> it seems inevitable, doesn't it? <laughs> No, you'd be too busy splaining at each other. <laughs> you'd be both trying to argue with each other, trying to explain the same set of time travel rules yep. and how the branches work. Do you think we'd be like Ross and Russ in that episode of Friends? <laughs> I love how much Friends is referenced on these podcasts. <laughs> Meanwhile, yes, Chris and his variant would start a podcast together. That would happen straight oh, away. God. Yeah, this is true. Uh, Helen. 
I don't know. What would yours? What would yours be? Hank. Hank, Hank O'Hara. Hank O'Hara. Wow, that sounds like a that sounds like a minor Marvel villain from the sixties. Somehow, mm. I don't know why. I think I think we'd probably just like go and buy some cake. I don't know. Read books as your lawyer. No, as your lawyer. No, as your lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you'll be like, I think you'll find. I think you'll find. Maybe, I think I'll find. I think you'll find. You think, you think I'll find? <laughs> Maybe Hank is still a lawyer and is really rich, and I can like hit him up for a couple of quid. Like that'd be pretty yeah. cool. This is it. Uh, Whereas, uh, what's what's Beverly Travis up to, Ben? Where would you get on with her? I I think we'd get on well. I think we'd be. You get on well I with think... Hitler, in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> liked animals and was a vegetarian and you know there's a lot to talk about be fine hang on Helen hang on, hang on. there's a lot there's to a say lot there's a, to talk he had about. a lot going for him that oh no no that's so- not what I said <laughs> do not put those words in my mouth oh my god this is where Hank O'Hara comes in and goes I believe you find that my client did actually not say that Hitler was a nice guy <laughs> don't know why Hank O'Hara is American but he is okay. in, in my I think Bev in Travis my- and Ben Travis would just go to a screening of Rise of Skywalker and have a lovely lovely time they'd have time. a great time I hope Beverly Travis fucking hates Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Look, I know there are enough people who already do that. Bev Travis does not what, need to fulfill that if, function. What if Bev Travis like crashed, literally crashed through the ceiling and landed on one of your baby Yodas? <gasps> I presume they would be bringing with them the, uh, her own Yodas. set of baby Yodas, so that would be absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Anyway. Can, can, um, can I just, can I just yes. clarify... Um, Hitler's a prick. Yeah, just like to say oh, Ben. Wow. Whoa, hang on a Shots second. Shots fired. Hitler, Hitler is a shitbag. No, 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 no. As, now. as his lawyer, I'd like to co-sign that. Hitler is a total oh, shitbag. Yeah, that's right. Holy shit. I wouldn't get on with him. I would not get on with that man. Wow. Okay. Just putting that out there. No, no, that's no, fine. <laughs> you can't libel the dead. That's true. It is true. Totally, totally acceptable. I thought he was a big poo-poo head myself. Yeah, you wow. hear that, Hitler? You big poo-poo head. Here's one from Bicycle, at Bicycle, B-I-S-I-C-K-L-E. Since everyone at the TVA is supposedly a variant, does that mean we might see a 2014 Gamora working there? No. Oh, boy. I mean, look, <laughs> they seem very, very inconsistent in who they you know, pick up for stepping outside of the timeline, but... um. I would guess that they're not going to go near Gamora because they want her to be in Guardians 3. I mean, because of reasons that are make total sense in-universe and not outside it. Yes. Also, I, I, I mean, Gamora is an extremely capable person, but I, I think she'd be bored by admin. I can't see her being oh, yeah. satisfied oh, there's no working way at she the works. No, there's no way she works behind a desk, my God. At Fal Shopaholic wants to know who Loki might have been in love with previously in the MCU. Who knows? Maybe one day we will find out. Uh, she also wanted to know, and then she discovered, because she rewatched the episode, as she told me, uh, where Loki got his daggers from. And a few people have asked about that. So I'm not entirely sure that it's clear within the show itself. I think it is if you go back and see it a couple of times. But he gets them, as I said earlier on, from the locker in which Mobius mm. put them last week. Yeah, because there's a shot of the locker before he gets yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah, which I think some might be slightly disconnected for some people because they're not putting it together, but that's where he got them from. But anyway, uh, Foul Shopaholic um, sends in loads of questions every week within seconds of the of the episode uh, airing. And the one I'm going to choose this week, and thank you for that, Foul, by the way, uh, is 
about Loki's humanity. She says, as they're running towards the Ark, Loki says they're just going to let these people die, which to me shows he may seek to rule by any means, but there has always been that humanity in him that he doesn't like killing people. Mm. I think he's he's learning. His it's like the T eight hundred and T two. He's you know, he's being his hard drive is being rewritten with emotion. And I think he's just seen footage of his entire homeworld being destroyed with thousands and thousands of people um, on that homeland. I think it would register, it would hit home for him a bit more being on a planet and thinking, or or a moon in this case, and thinking, oh God, everyone here is going to die, including me. I think the including me is doing quite a lot of heavy lifting because I, I, I can see that he would find more humanity when he is one of those humans. Mm. Uh uh, who, who is about to perish under a falling planet. Um, but yeah, I, I think the fact that he has just seen the destruction of Asgard would make him slightly more conscious of the fact that that is a bad thing. I, I also think you have to look at how he was raised a little bit. So, you know, I think we, obviously we've seen the slightly cuddlier version of Odin um, over the past few centuries Um uh, rather than the one who fought alongside Hela, so that's presumably the one he's grown up with. But at the same time, if he's been taught about leadership by Odin, he would have been taught about caring for the populace and, and looking out for your people, but also about you know having to make sacrifices when necessary. And I think he, I think there is a distinction there that matters because I think he would see people killed in the Battle for New York, say, as sacrifices that have to be made for the greater good, which he sees as him being in charge and getting rid of all that pesky freedom stuff. Mm. This is senseless waste of life. And I think that would go against the teachings he's had from Odin. So I think there's a difference there. There's this tr strategic deaths, which are perhaps unfortunate, but necessary, and so be it. Mm -hmm. And then there's just bad leadership, which is letting people die in the streets for no reason. And I think that would probably offend him on quite a deep level. That raises an interesting point about Tother Loki, Low about Sylvie, mm -hmm. because if she is, if what she's saying is true and that everyone who works the TVA, apart from, we're guessing, Renslayer, is a variant, including Mobius, I guess, that's yeah, I guess presumably so. what, what, what that implies. She's armed with that knowledge, so she knows that they've been conscripted against her will and against her knowledge and they don't know that they're variants. And yeah, she's just happily going she around. She straight up kills him. Yeah, but she hasn't had that teaching. You know, that's not something that that is a na a nurture, not nature thing that I'm proposing that Loki has. Our Loki but that's has. That's that. That's morally murky at best. She's not just straight up killing them. She's luring them into, into different time yeah. periods and then butchering them. And she kills a whole bunch of dudes in this episode as well, yeah. knowing that you know, and you know, guards, not even not even TVA people, mm. but guards. And, TV and, and like, straight, like up, straight up disintegrates, yeah, disintegrates yeah. people as well. Yeah, but but that yeah. again, that that's what well, I'm, I'm talking. About, it's nature versus nurture, and I don't think I think his nature may not be to enjoy killing, but both variants here see sometimes killing as a mean to an end. So I think that's mm. common between them. Okay, both. Maybe she will become softer as a result of his influence over the next few episodes Perhaps. as well. Who knows? Uh, at Hallcat tweets uh, asks, I think the golden elevator is a bit of a hint today, like the yellow brick road, all leading to man behind the curtain. And of course, you know, it's the it's the, mm. it's the haves. They have the gold elevator. Everyone else has to take the shitty drab stairs. Also, I don't think you can think gold elevator without thinking of he who shall not be named. Mm. The, the, the well, orange Hitler. one. The orange one. Uh, the, the orange one, we shall call him. The Thing from the Fantastic Four. Oh my God, is Reed Richards in this? <laughs> oh God. 
The former president of the United States. Oh, Donald J. Trump. Yeah. Boo, hiss. <laughs> boo, boo to him. Boo, 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 boo. boo, boo. You, sir, are a poo-poo head. Uh, yes, that does feel like a nod to me. Mm. And and yeah, the the you know I think the reference there to man behind the curtain is is, uh, is a good one to to make Ben because obviously behind the curtain was not a great wizard. It was a charlatan keeping up a f- facade and unmasked by a small yappy dog. So that that all seems to track with what we suspect this show is going to be. No, give me lizards. I want the space lizards. <laughs> God damn it! You want space lizards, Ben? I can highly recommend the nineteen eighties miniseries Fee. Have you ever seen that, Ben? I have not, no. Oh, it's great. So, it, yeah. It's about um, invasion lizards. of Earth. Space lizards. So a, a alien species comes to Earth and uh, they're called the visitors and they, they, they say that they come in peace and they look like us and they sound like us, mostly. Uh, and then heroic TV reporter Mike Donovan, played by Mark Singer, stumbles upon one of their huge motherships and finds out that they're actually evil space lizards no. who have come here to enslave the human race, take them Spoilers. for food and steal all our water. I would say episode one, isn't it? That, <laughs> that's revealed, isn't it? The end no, of episode no, one? No, 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 that's well into it. It's not hey. well into it. No, it is. It's, it's just a big reveal. Two. It's episode two. I mean, it's, if it's, it's a also day. 1980s, so I feel like there's a bit of a. I mean, yes, 1984. Yeah. Although, yeah. although Ben, you know, this might speak to you more. There was a 2009 millennial remake of V, With which maybe yeah. that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Hang on, sorry. I'm just gonna um, just gonna bring this up now and pre-order it. And then what was it? Helen Garfield Two: A Tale of Two Kitties. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> How dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> anyway, John C six 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 Dominus. So hungry. Do you reckon Ravona Renslayer <laughs> still has memories of her time before joining the TVA? And that's the reason she's so wary of Loki. I think she's got memories of her time before joining the TVA because I think she founded the TVA. She's yes. up to her neck of skullduggery. <gasps> Not skullduggery. Sorry, I went full Sorry. Seinfeld there. I don't know why. She's up to her neck of skullduggery. <laughs> what is the deal with the TVA? <laughs> what is the deal with sitting backwards on trains? <laughs> What's happening? What's happening? Uh, what is happening? Uh, yes, answer that question. Uh, I, 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 I command it. I don't. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I just, I don't think she has memories because I think she's a bad. One. However, you know, it, we may be completely unfair, and she may be a variant who has been recruited and mind wiped and brainwashed or whatever else. Um, and and in that case, no, I don't think she does have memories. Ooh, what if the? Uh, I. I don't mean to use this word in that sense, but what if the end game of this show is them yeah. creating like an, an army game. of variants to overthrow the TVA? That would be cool. What, like a million Owen Wilsons? If they if they rise up against <laughs> the going, TVA. Wow, 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 wow! Like the Furbies from Mitchell's versus Machines. <laughs> Let the dark wow, harvest begin. Let the dark harvest begin. Uh, <laughs> at as far Shah, which character or characters from Loki would you like to see show up in future MCU properties? He wants to see Mobius in Thor: Love and Thunder, for example. Do you think it's going to happen? Do you think that uh, Sylvie is going to be a major player going forward? Do you think Owen oh, Wilson's not a one and done? I can't imagine Gugu and Batarazz are one and done either. Yeah. It's those three are the, are the the ones who seem most likely to to proceed. I don't think Love and Thunder because I think that's too soon, and I think there's a kind of a sense here of Marvel waiting to see what works before putting people into too many things at once. So I feel like we might see them down the line. But oh. honestly, and this is the thing at this point, I think everybody's proceeding in a direction towards more cosmic weirdness right now. 
in yeah. terms of you know multiverse of madness, spider spider verses of spiders, um, uh, quantum mania <laughs> of time travel. Like everything's getting really like trippy. I mean, and and Eternals as well inherently mm-hmm. a slightly more trippy concept than we've had for most of our superhero origin stories before. So things are going to get weird, and I yeah. feel like that's why this could tie into pretty much everything going yeah. forward. And also, the, the storytelling so far up to phase one was fairly straightforward. It mm-hmm. was Big Purple Dude wants to get these space jewels and put them together, and that would be bad, and these good people are going to try and stop them. But everything, by and large, up until Endgame, works along a linear path. This is going to get really fucking weird. Phase four is going to get very, very weird. It already has, mm. but it's going to get weirder very, very quickly. And you could argue, of course, they have the confidence of having brought so many people on board that they're along for the ride, no matter what you throw at them. Throw timey-wimey stuff, multiple dimensions at us. Throw, allegedly, people from previous iterations of Spider-Man showing up. What the hell is going on? That's all going to be very, very interesting if that comes to pass. But their their storytelling is going to have to be so tight and so on point for this thing not to spiral out of control. Yeah. In fact, we trust. We yeah, I do I do trust Feige, but I, I have the same concern. I think I've talked about this on spoilers before, which is you know, for casual viewers, and maybe there aren't any of those anymore. Maybe people are are you know up on all this stuff, but for casual viewers, this swiftly gets pretty confusing, and there is a real risk, I think, of the storytelling getting so complex that it sort of collapses under its own weight for the casual viewer. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we've seen them do quite a clever thing in the two TV shows so far, which is that they've made the storytelling relevant and interesting and deepened the characters, but still left them in a position where if you haven't seen the TV show, you will absolutely understand what's happening the next time you see them on screen. And I think they might, and it might be that they end up doing the same thing here. You will still understand what's happening the next time you see these people on screen. But all the films, if they're getting into multiple realities, multiple timelines, multiple versions of characters we thought were dead or gone or anything else, you know, it is going to get to a point where it is going to become very, very difficult for a casual viewer to keep up. And the comics have passed that point, arguably, in the past. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've we've seen various attempts to kind of reset the universes and and, you know, dial back everything to kind of zero. Because you have to be careful with the with the storytelling, and you have to make sure that you know actions mm-hmm. still have consequences, and you're not just retconning all the time, and you know reinventing people all the time, and bringing people back from the dead all the time. You still need to have yep. endings. It has to have weight. Yeah. It has to have consequence, and you can't just you can't just just because the storytelling. Yeah. You can, why is that character back? Because why did why did that thing happen? Look, we needed to film in that location, so it was easier to get those characters. I'm I'm not aiming those comments at a particular film in a particular franchise that is uh, out right now, but uh, you know, there's there's a danger, of course, of franchises like this, and it's a wonder that it hasn't happened. Mm. Twenty three films in, and now several TV shows in, uh, both uh, collapse under its own weight and then disappear up its own arsehole. And the the MCU hasn't done that so far, and I really, really, really hope. <laughs> Controversial opinion. I really hope it doesn't. I hope that they, you know, <laughs> they continue to. Uh, yeah. I know. I hope the quality's good, guys. I don't know. Wow, that's crazy. Can I just say I know exactly what I want, and that is Mobius teaming up with Jimmy Woo. 
Enough said. <gasps> I want those can two guys solving crimes. Oh. If, if, if Mobius can exist outside the TVA, bring him to the FBI or stick both of those guys in sword. Give them some kind of cool uniform to wear, oh. a case no, just load them, to solve. Suits. They, they look great in suits. Keep they the do. suits. Just the laconic energy of that. Oh. Yes. Jimmy Woo teaching Mobius close-up magic. That's all oh I want to see. Give me that on Disney Plus right Mobius now. Mobius taking oh, Woo yeah. on his jet ski at the weekends because oh they just God. like each other oh and they God. hang out and they have barbecues. They're just, they're just best friends. Just they're buddies. Just best Every friends. episode would end with those guys on jet skis. Oh, my God. <laughs> Mobius and Woo. Jet ski cops is what we need to see, right? You, I can see the title sequence already. Mm. I can hear the title song in my head. It sounds a little bit similar to Call Me By Your Name, but what can you do? Uh, <laughs> I would love to see that. Kevin, you you know where you can find us. Make it happen. <laughs> the ball is in your court. <laughs> ben, and also don't lie to me, Ben. The thing that you would love to see most in the MCU is Magneto playing. Oh, very good. Magneto very plane! Good. Magneto technically, plane! Technically, any plane is Magneto plane unless it's made of plastic. He could grab any of those and fling them around wherever he wants. That's I true. also think he could still make plastic fly by altering the magnetic waves upon which the Earth works, right? I don't know. He, he can he can manipulate the Earth's magnetic field, yeah. Yes, yeah. It tends so, to be, yeah. you know, bad, though, when he does that. Like, I, I don't know. It does, yes. Yes, he has the power to cleave the earth in twain, as does at St. Wright, who asks, could the setup on Lamentus 1 be one of either Loki or Sylvie having enchanted the other to extract some information, which would make this episode all, or mostly all, a dream? Now, obviously, Sylvie does try that on with Loki, and as far as we know, mm. doesn't succeed, because Loki goes, well, well, my mind's too strong, so you can't do it. But what if, what she, if she did, did succeed... And the whole thing is an elaborate illusion. No, I don't like that. Don't like it either. Yeah, no, because no. I, because you, again, you want actions to have consequences, and you want this bonding to be real to some extent, because it's already tentative and already partial. So it, it feels, it would feel weird if it was also completely manipulated from step one. I, I don't think they've given us any real reason to think that's happening. So mm. I'm reluctant to impose it upon it. Um, I do. Inter- I thought it was interesting, though. We haven't specifically talked about this, but um, she says she she doesn't fall asleep around people she she can't trust, and then does fall asleep around Loki. And interestingly, if they're the same person, he fell asleep around Mobius in a previous episode. But I, I, he's had a long day. Oh, he's had so an he insane needs day. Sleep, yeah. He needs yeah. to sleep at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. They both Even do. the god of mischief needs to recharge, which of course is what this entire episode is about. They're basically just trying to find a genius bar so they can go in and recharge. They're trying to find a phone charger. That is literally <laughs> the plot of this episode. <laughs> We've it. all been there. It's very relatable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, their pit boy needed to be recharged. <laughs> yes. Uh, but for example, you know, the, the, that's really interesting. The fact that Sylvie falls asleep would indicate that if this was an enchantment, it's not her enchantment. Mm. It might be his enchantment. I don't think it is an enchantment. No. But for example, I was intrigued by the emphasis that seemed to be placed on the word real in that exchange, you know, the exchange about the parents and about, you know, their part past partners and relationships and sexuality. That exchange has a couple of times the word real is said, you know, the tiger's not real, something else isn't real. And I wondered if maybe there's on some level playing with the notion that this itself might not be real. It might be a construct. It might be a reason why we saw that at the beginning of the episode, of mm. course, with, with Sasha Lane. 
Maybe. Who knows? At Luke J. Gray doesn't have a question. He says it's more an overjoyed beaming happiness that we now have a bi character in the MCU and it is bloody Loki of all people. Just loved it and it brought me to tears. Hey, mm. man. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way. Uh, like I said, I think they did a great job with that. And hopefully it's going to continue that from there. We know that there's going to be an LGBTQ character in Eternals. Um, and yeah, the more Marvel commits to this, um, the better, I, I mm. say. All right. Helen, James, Sci-Fi Brains on now. Oh, God. At Pinnacle Prime 1 says, Greetings from Sweden. Greetings back to Sweden. And aren't you glad we didn't butcher your language at the beginning of this podcast? Uh, Pinnacle Prime says, I am confused about the Stones, hoping you could bring some clarity. Well, Mix is singer, Keith is the lead guitarist, Charlie is the drummer, uh, and Ronnie Wood is the second guitarist. And they've made loads of albums, and they've been going since the 1960s, and all the songs sound the same. Hope that's helped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he means he invented these stones. Shit, sorry, I should have read the question. Uh, we all agree on the sacred timeline being what we have seen so far in the MCU. In Endgame, the Avengers travel back in time to the 2012 sacred timeline to steal the Tesseract from themselves. I can feel myself getting confused already, so please <laughs> try and follow this. They fail. Alternate Loki steals it instead, travels through space-time, mm -hmm. creates a branch off the sacred timeline. Mm -hmm gets apprehended by the TVA and ultimately sentenced for crimes against the sacred timeline. Yeah. But the Tesseract, a stone that controls an essential aspect of existence, never gets returned to the sacred timeline. Shouldn't it be then put back by somebody? How can the sacred timeline continue to function maybe, maybe without it, it? Maybe it was put back. It was put back because Steve Rogers puts it back. No, but also maybe it was put back... But TVA. Steve Rogers doesn't Steve, take it from yeah, there. Steve, he Steve takes Rogers it from has another to put it time. back to the seventies. Oh my yeah. God, you're right. So, so the Tesseract has disappeared from that 2012. Yeah. But mm. the minute that that happens, then that is no longer the sacred timeline. Maybe right? this is exactly. why they have spare Infinity Stones in their drawers. Yeah, because but it feels like that's a branch that gets collapsed, doesn't it? Like that's yeah. Once they you know, once they wipe him out, that branch is is clipped, right? So, and pr presumably the TVA goes in to the point just before that Loki zaps off with the cube mm. and sort of zaps everything with one of those time bombs yeah. so that so that Except he doesn't even fish man's draw. But but no, but the time bombs can't just the time bombs don't just like wipe out, you know, the helmet that was left in that spot when they go off. The time bombs wipe out that section of time. So they have to wipe out everything that happened that wasn't the sacred timeline, presumably. So even though they de detonate that time bomb in Mongolia or wherever it was, that time bomb has to affect Loki picking up the Tesseract in New York. So the Tesseract still has to be in New York and Loki just doesn't have to pick it up, I guess. It's maybe. almost as if they haven't it's almost quite as if, defined what the time bombs do. <laughs> it's almost as if none of this really works in the same way in the same way that Caps and an Endgame also no, doesn't work. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah. I don't care. I just want them to yeah. be happy. So my my answer is is a hand wave. A hand yes. wave, absolutely. Uh, but this whole thing is a mess. You know what they could use to clean it up, folks? They could use the Dyson oh, outsize absolute. <laughs> the full-size bin means less empty, and the 1.9-litre bin is 150% bigger than the standard oh, Dyson boy. V15 vacuum. It's engineered for family-size cleans and less empty. And for more information, go to dyson.co.uk. <laughs> I cannot stress oh, enough, God. we're not being paid for this. Voiceovers are my ticket out of here. <laughs> 
Uh, at Brewery underscore Chris asks, what do we think Sylvie's plan is? Do you think she just wants to free the Faryans and cause chaos? Is she working with someone else? She doesn't seem that bothered about harnessing the powers the timekeepers possess. Yeah, I think she wants to tear it all down. Mm. I don't think she wants to take it over. I don't think she has an agenda other than mm. fuck the TVA. Let's suck all this shit off. Some people just want to watch the timeline <laughs> burn. <laughs> he had an infinity stone the size of a fist. <laughs> yeah, I, do- I failed you. I don't think Loki's are not typically the type to work with other people unless they have a plan in place to, you know, subvert that union and work against them in short order. So I I would say she's not working on behalf of anybody. I don't think. Maybe we'll be wrong. But I think she just wants to, yeah. I, I think she's I think there's there's something personal there against the TBA, but I don't know what it is. But there's clearly a real motive. You know, again, we've talked about it, but Loki's quest against them feels like opportunism. He's found out they exist. He's found out they subscribe. Uh, they can constrict his ability to act freely, and therefore he's going to try and take over or infiltrate them. Hers feels like she has an actual grudge, and that feels more personal. Yeah. And I don't think that she's necessarily working on anyone's behalf when she does that. I think there'll be an extra element to it, but also she is a variant. Mm. She, in the eyes of the TVA, shouldn't exist. And if somebody came up to you and said, hey, we're from the Space Lizard Force and you shouldn't exist, so we're going to kill you, you'd be like, what? No. So I think she's sort of fighting back against this force that is telling her that she shouldn't exist when clearly she is a completely distinct entity to our Loki and and has the right to. Three last really good questions. at A underscore Albasurus is not the only person to have raised this. Uh, I missed the other person who wrote it, so I apologize. Uh, but they say, I'm getting the feeling that the Time Lord Space Lizards may turn out to be another Loki. Lizard Loki? <laughs> Maybe a Lizard Loki, but might be another Loki pulling the strings. Might be the Richard E. Grant Loki that we know yeah. is going to be in this. Uh, I would be very here for that. In the same way that I was, you know, my my principal objection to her being Enchantress was that I wanted this to be a Loki. I wanted it to be all about Loki because it just feels right that it would be. So similarly, it feels right that it would be a Loki behind the scenes as well. And actually, if you think about it, if his entire um, philosophy that we heard about in, in Avengers 2012 is, you know, nobody else needs freedom except for me, it would make absolute sense for him to have founded the TVA. Do you know what? That, I mean, yes. that is compelling. Yeah, that could be right. So Richard E. Grant is the big boss. Yeah, I'm it here for it. It feels good. It does feel it feels, good, doesn't it? It feels right, doesn't it? Oh. It does feel right. Oh, I feel it great works. now. Yeah. It works. So well done, everybody who suggested that. When we see Richard E. Grant, if he is a lizard, lizard Richard E. Grant, what is your lizard I would like thing? it now, please. What fucker said that? I hope this is opening line. I called your friend a space lizard. Now I'm calling you a space lizard. We've ruled the TVA by mistake. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Withnail and Loki. Oh. Make it happen. Make it happen. Feige, we are churning out the good ideas here. <laughs> I hope to Christ you're listening to this. Two ninety nine a month, man. Come on! You're a millionaire! Oh. <laughs> this is the best uh, username we've ever had from Lisa McConville, aka Owled Grumpy Tits. <laughs> <laughs> Superb. I'm taking that. Uh, I know both you and Helen are teetotal. Correct. Uh, James isn't far off either, aren't you, James? You're just on the, the smack had, these days. I think, one alcoholic drink this year. 
I can't remember. It was exactly in January, when. and you're still going. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a long fucking drink. Uh, I drink anyway, really I know slowly. both you and Helen are teetotal, but who would you rather go on a night out with, drunk Vision or drunk Loki? Oh, drunk Loki would be more fun. I mean, I love drunk Vision. Don't get me wrong, but drunk Loki would be would be a great night out. I mean, lest we forget, drunk Vision was drunk on chewing gum. So <laughs> just throwing that out there. Chewing gum tends to have a laxative effect if you eat too much of it. I wonder if that happened to Vision as well. Good Lord. Was he farting bubbles by the end? I, I don't need to speculate on that. Drunk Vision's kind of probably more my speed for mm. a night out. Oh, yeah, honestly, he's just he a little yeah. bit, yeah. yeah, a little bit rambunctious, a little bit, you know, just fun. There's Silly. nothing malevolent yeah. to him. Whereas Loki, you would absolutely wake up on a trawler in Copenhagen with a duffel bag full of heads. You absolutely would. <laughs> I know. Even but if you don't drink. You would have had a great time. Before that, you know, <laughs> like a really, really good time. Like it would, it would change your life kind of night out. Yeah. Did we go to Lucky Voice? We bought Lucky Voice. <laughs> <It's funny. laughs> Loki at least is in control. Vision is accidentally altering reality all over the place. And that could be very, very dangerous for everyone around him. You might wake up and realize that you don't exist anymore. Whereas with Loki, you probably would still exist unless you become an, a variant of yourself because of fingers. the wild debauched shit. Oh, firework, firework fingers. fingers. Come on. I rest my yes. case. Absolutely. That's what they call me. No. 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 Hard no. No. <laughs> Keep it in. Leave it in. Quick. I need a dildo. <laughs> At John C. N. Harris, uh, formerly of this parish, formerly, of course, of the Pilot TV podcast uh, as well. Yes. How does the Marvel Studios fanfare orchestra feel <laughs> about the show's lack of Marvel Studios fanfare? We've only heard it once mm. out of three episodes. Yeah. I love when they put like a pop song yeah. under the Marvel Studios logo. It was very much here for, I have to say, I didn't know that song, but it instantly Shazammed it yep. and it was Hayley Kiyoko and I will Demons. be checking that out in full. Yeah. Um, yes. I really like when they put, uh, oh, is it, um, it's Iron Man 3 where it's blue dabba dee dabba yeah. da. Like it feels like a nice subversion of expectations when they strip out the classical music and put a pop banger yeah. on there instead. Mm. Sign me up for more of that. I think that they have been run out of town by the Marvel Studios Fanfare Orchestra, and I think they know that they can't possibly compete with us. Giacchino and his professional musicians with his 60-piece orchestra can't possibly compete with four dickheads on Squadcast, some of whom are playing cheap kazoos they bought from Jeff Bezos. And on that note, I think that is it for this week's Loki Spoiler Special. Join us next week. For discussion of episode four, which Tom Hiddleston has said apparently gets really crazy. Huh. Unlike all the others. Like more so. <laughs> <laughs> space lizards. Space lizards. Space lizards. Space lizards. Yeah. All about the space lizards. Yeah, cannot Absolutely. wait. Absolutely. But until then, until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning whose squadcast names this week are Independence, Authority, Style. Helen O'Hara. Oh, yeah, that's me. Toodaloo. That is you. Helen is going to the loo. What? No. To the loo. It is goodbye from Private Hudson, James Game Dyer. over, man. It's game over. Um, yes. Good, good. <laughs> Love, loving the alien threat. I, I look forward to seeing everyone next week when we will hopefully find out who indeed has got the figgy port. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Ficky Port might be with Mr. Brain Freeze, Ben Travis.
Goodbye. I also, it, we've been doing this for over 90 minutes and I didn't say that that massive wonner at the end was amazing. So oh, this yeah. is me yeah, now yeah. saying the massive really wonner at the end was so, so good. What yes. have we talked about for a night? <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. But Dyson. that was awesome. Congrats to all involved. Yeah. Uh, and also goodbye. Well, Helen, in a very real way, they were Dyson with death, weren't they? In that wonner. So it makes sense that that is a note on which we shall end this podcast uh, because it's goodbye from me, Willie Lumpkin. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye. Oh, when she sings, she sings, come home. When she sings, she sings, come home. When she sings, she sings, come home.